to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined as always by Joe Chung from Disney Deciphered and As the Joe Flies. How's it going today, Joe? Pretty good. Finally caught the bug that has been going around. It's now being passed around our family one person at a time. I don't like, I, I guess the proper thing to do is to feel relieved that we are all COVID negative. But um, part of me is like, oh, if I was COVID positive, I could just rest for five days and not feel bad. Now I'm in that like tricky part where it's like, you know, I'm not super sick. I don't have a fever. Yeah, see, my voice just cracked. You know, should I go to work? Should the kids go to school? You know, it's all. But if that if we had COVID, it'd be like, oh, we'll stay home for five days. So it's just one of those weird things about our our new society, I guess. How the years have changed, right? Uh, you're. Life has gotten complicated when it comes to getting sick. I mean, the truth is we focus so much on that, right? And then there's all these other little things that get us. It's like the old-fashioned cold and flu season, and, you know, you well, expect yeah. it to be something else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. Like, technically, like, we should encourage everyone to just stay home when they're sick all the time. But now it's like, well, if you're COVID positive, then it's like, yeah, definitely stay home. But then everything else is just kind of like, you know, all up in the air. So... I wish I wish we had like been able to better implement some, you know, remote not not learning necessarily, but like remote contingencies and you know, stuff is online a lot more, so it's a lot easier, but that never happened, so it's like we're I feel like outside of COVID or having a fever, we're back at this place where, you know, if you're sick, you're just kind of like making your decision about uh, whether to go in or not. So, I don't know. I don't love it. I uh, would have Taking the five days uh, if I had it, but then since I didn't have it and I'm missing a couple days later this week, I'm like, I might as well go in. So it is what it is. How are you doing, Sean? Doing well. You know, just hanging out here in Las Vegas, getting ready for some upcoming travel, doing Chicago and trying to decide what I'm going to do after Chicago because I'm supposed to go to FinCon in New Orleans, but I haven't really uh, been feeling that too much and I can do most of the sessions online and uh, it would be a little bit difficult. Plus, I want to try to sneak in Dollywood somehow because they're making a change to one of their coasters, and I haven't been there. So I might sneak down to Gatlinburg uh, or Pigeon Forge after Chicago. So I don't know. I'm seeing that. I'm actually trying to book flights, and I've been looking for flights for our trip to Japan and China next year, which is going to happen in May, which is like a record for me. I'm really trying to get that locked down now, which is like unheard of. Uh, I do have flights back already on that Starlux with Alaska, which I talked about before. I'm not sure if I'll be able to keep that. But I was crazy. Even in May, I'm really struggling to find any sort of business class availability. So obviously, I need to get to the point where I'm doing this 11 months, 12 months out instead of six or seven months out because everybody already scooped up all the the seats. But maybe we'll have to fly a coach, I don't know, over to Japan. I always hope for like, it's always, and for us, obviously, it's like for more seats. But I mean, this is what we did for Australia last year. And, you know, I know I talk about this probably ad nauseum to a lot of people, but checking Spencer's award alerts, you know, I pay for the premium, so I get it like a day early or whatever. You know, I, I find that it's worth it because every once in a while, I mean, the Starlux that you booked, you know, I mean, it hit the it hit the interwebs pretty fast. But, you know, I saw that from Spencer first. These things come up and it's I'm always like, oh, I just hope it works out for my dates, hope it works out for my dates. And it's confirmation bias, but it feels like nine times out of 10, it does work out for my dates at the very least for like coach, since you're going internationally, like that one way coach flight 
if you have to like pay for it in cash is not going to be good. So even if it's like coach saver space, that's going to be good. Yeah, I was looking at some options with American where I could lock in the main cabin extra seating because of my gifted platinum pro status and at least get that on the books. And like you said, I'm sure something will come up. Um, so at least I'm actually looking at it now and planning ahead, which is nice. I still haven't decided if we're going to Costa Rica at the end of the month. Uh, we have the Andaz Papagayo for four nights with a sweet upgrade. And I was deciding against it. Just it's a lot of flying. It's, you know, 10, 12 hours to get there at least. But there are some okay flight options at Save Rewards for economy at like 12.5, 12,500 advantage miles. And even United has an option, I think, through Aeroplan at 12,500. So I don't know. I'm debating it. But it requires a red eye going there. And we're only there for four days. And it seems like we're squeezing it into like a holiday break for school. So it seems like it's going to be tiring. Although laying on the beach in Costa Rica would be nice. I don't know. I feel guilty, though, going to Costa Rica and just going to the Andas for a couple of days. I've never been to the country. So I would, I don't know, I feel like I should do more there than just go to a resort. But that's basically what we would do. So I don't know, I, I probably should decide that soon, because that would be in a few weeks. It's always tough. You know, I, I feel like that's the problem with award space and the miles and points game. Sometimes you end up getting restricted. You know, you don't, you don't, uh, for lack of a better term, not rough it, but you don't go out and see, you know, the country that you're visiting outside of the hotel. You know, I feel like Bali is the same way. Like you have to, like you could stay in the, uh, what's what's that? Not that, Nusa Dua area where all the nice beach resorts are and never get into the forest, like deep into the rainforest where you have to like DDT yourself to, you know, not get bit by bugs and things like that. Um, so it is, it is restricting sometimes. And that's why I think for both of us, we always, you know, try to look outside miles and points sometimes. You can justify it by saying, you know, the money that you save using your miles and points for some of your stays, your flights or things like that, you can afford to pay cash hotels that are, you know, a little bit more uh, amongst the people. Yeah, but I guess the point of that place is not to be amongst the people, right? So uh, it's just wish I had more time that I wasn't trying to squeeze it into a weekend. But such is life when you have kids and, you know, we're back to normal reality here where we're trying to utilize long weekends. I, I think in that case, she, we would take her out of school for one day, uh, and then she had a three-day weekend, so it would work out fairly okay without missing too much school. I know the teacher in you, Joe, is upset, me even saying taking her out for one day, but that's okay. No, I'll opposite. take the lecture. No, opposite, <laughs> opposite. I, I always feel like people should pull their kids out from school. Should you? So you debate whether uh, this is tongue-in-cheek. Oh, not tongue-in-cheek is I feel like pull, if you're going to travel, pull your kids out of school. I think that is totally worth it. Tongue-in-cheek is debate whether to use the sick days when your kids are only like half sick and coughing so that you save those days to take them to travel. That's tongue-in-cheek. I really feel like you know it, it is worth it, um, especially if you're only taking a day off, off a long weekend anyway. Uh, a lot of other kids are going to do that. And I think the thing is, if you didn't have miles and points, you wouldn't cram it into a weekend. And so that's the thing that, you know, it enables us to do that we wouldn't normally, you know, we always talk about, I mean, I don't do it anymore, but going to Europe for a weekend or whatever, just because we have miles and points or we found a mistake fare or something. You know, you can always think of it as it's just your first visit. You know, you'll go see the rest of the country next time. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're talking me into it. I really do want to go. I just don't like the idea of the red eye flight. So we'll see. Because I feel like 
by the time you recover from that, it could, you know, affect a day or two. But then again, we're just at the resort and not, you know, wouldn't be doing too much. So uh, we'll see how I decide on that. While we're talking about families, let's talk about some new policy changes. JetBlue has finally unveiled their new family seating guarantee. And we've seen a couple other airlines do this. And basically, they're guaranteeing that if you have a kid under 12 on your PNR, that they will get sat with at least one parent. And I think in reality, most airlines have had this policy unofficially for a long time, but now they're putting it into writing and they're being more proactive by looking at PNRs, seeing ones with children that don't have assigned seats and making sure that they get them. But I've never been split up for my kid. I know there was a couple big stories when it happened anecdotally, but the airlines have always been pretty good about this. And I'm okay with them putting it in writing, just making sure, kind of taking that stress away from the parents. Because a lot of people who don't travel frequently are very stressed out about this. They're worried about getting you know, split up from their kids, but they also don't want to pay seat fees ahead of time to lock in their seats. Yeah, this is something I definitely stressed out about a long time ago. In fact, I remember I wrote a blog post on it about how like I felt pressure to pay for it wasn't even you know it wasn't even premium economy seats it was just you know how American Airlines it's just preferred seats paying paying $25 per preferred seat and I remember Dia Adams writing Deal Mommy it works for Forbes now I remember her writing me and being like you know if you just leave it they'll they'll put you together and I totally believe her and I believe that that is the kind of unwritten policy for a lot of airlines, but I just did not need that stress when I was at the airport. Like, because if that's the case, you know, you're going to wait and they're going to be like, uh, Joseph Chung, can you please come up to the desk? And then that's when you'll get your seat assignments and things like that. And like, I don't need that stress, um, especially, you know, at the time I hadn't been used to as used to traveling with young kids and things like that. So I really appreciate, I think United did this last year. I think maybe it was the first one to put it officially in writing, but I really appreciate when airlines do this. And I know like people say, oh, uh, if you want to sit together, you have to pay like everyone else. I just think that's a little bit of nonsense. Like, do you want to sit next to my five-year-old by yourself, you know, instead of me sitting next to them? Like, you know, you just kind of, it's just, we live in a society, Sean. And, you know, sometimes common sense needs to take over from uh, other things. Yeah, I agree with you. I think, as you said, this has been an unofficial policy for a long time for airlines. So why not put it in writing, reduce the stress on parents in the airports, make sure kids are next to their parents. Because as you said, there is a flip side of that. And you don't want a kid, even an eight or nine year old to be by themselves uh, where they're not behaving or they don't have a parent near them. And it just is a mess of people trying to rearrange seating. And it's nice that they're being proactive about it so that you just don't have to worry about it or go up and ask a a flight attendant or a gate agent and, you know, deal with their mood or whatever. Uh, so I'm glad to see that. Yeah, the other funny thing I think about is everyone only thinks about kids being misbehaved sitting next to you, like random kids being misbehaved sitting next to you. But, Sean, I don't know about your kids, but I definitely have one kid who I feel like would talk the ear off anyone sitting next to them. And is that really what – like, they're they're not going to misbehave. They're going to be very well behaved. But do you really want to engage in a conversation with a redacted age child for, you know, a two hour flight, a three hour flight, a six hour flight? You know, do you want to have to pretend you're asleep the entire time? I don't think so. So, you know, this is a good policy for everybody. (laughs) So Joe won't single out which one of his kids is the one that would do that. But yeah, I mean, it's. It's funny. Yeah, I don't understand how people on the other side could. This is one of those policies that should just work for everybody. Well, we're talking about 
policy changes. We've seen in the last, what, month or two, and this is in response to the government going after them, but Hyatt and Marriott both announced that they're going to disclose all mandatory fees on their website as part of the price when you search. And basically, resort fees have become, you know, a plague in the travel industry, some people would say. And it's harder and harder to find, you know, what the final price is. Most most websites, including all these brands, had been disclosing it on the final page. So once you click through, you know, you're going to check out. They're going to tell you you have a resort fee, but they're not showing it when you were searching. Now Hyatt Marriott are moving towards that. And Hilton has announced that they're going to do that as well. So they're all trying to, you know, get ahead of any legislation that might come but this is a good move in the area of resort fees. Hopefully we see this across the board. If you search on a site like Expedia, on a site like Hotels Combined, or you go directly to the brands, it should just show you what the price is. And then we don't have to worry about complaining about resort fees all too much. And then just another reason that Hyatt's so good for globalists, because you don't pay the resort fees, which is amazing. No, nah, globalist is terrible. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's good. I think in five to 10 years, we will have moved past this. And hotels will have found a new way to sneak things in. Either, you know, we won't even see what they're doing to inflate their prices. These things are all cyclical. And I am glad to see resort fees finally being, you know, because like if you're not a savvy traveler, you don't know. Even with Marriott, you can click the button to show the price with resort fees. But with these OTAs and the websites, it's just it's just so much better that it's up there out front for non-regular travelers so everyone knows what they're looking at at the very beginning. So great move. Uh, too late or not, not too little, definitely too late though. And you make a good point. They need to be hard on these OTAs because one thing you're going to see now uh, with mandatory disclosure on the brand websites is that their prices could seem higher. And obviously comparison sites are going to figure out how to parse this, but I could see some uh, not honest OTAs kind of winning out here with low prices because they're not quoting everything up front. So uh, we do need to get to it across the board. I support legislation because I think legislation that just simply says the full price has to be disclosed up front, very similar to what we have with airfare, is the best solution. It doesn't need to go crazy. It doesn't need to be over the top. It can be simple in that way. The price that you're going to pay is the price you see, including taxes and everything else. And then you can just judge, just like you do with an airfare ticket, which includes all the taxes and everything from the price that you see. So hopefully we're headed in that direction. I think we are. And I'm not going to give Hilton too much credit because they're following their competitors. But one by one, this is falling, and that's a good thing. So two new brands are launching for hotels. And, you know, it seems like Here every we go week... again. Yeah, Here exactly. We every again. week. But this is good news for Hyatt because it's not just a hotel brand. They're launching Homes and Hideaways by World of Hyatt, which is their version of long-term rental, you know, beach houses, vacation rental homes, everything. You'll be able to earn points on these, and you will also be able to redeem points on these. Although they didn't release a lot of information about exactly how it's going to work, so we'll have to wait and see. But we do know that you will be able to redeem Hyatt points for this. They're partnering with Lowe, who's the company that owned Destination Hotels that they bought that brand from a few years ago, and they're you know, getting up and running with all these properties. It'll be interesting to see what their portfolio compares to some of the other competitors. Uh, but Hyatt getting in the game, it seems like everywhere that they've been behind the last few years, they've really tried to fill those holes in their lineup. And people love these long-term vacation rentals or short, people love these short-term vacation rentals. Yeah. I also feel like a lot of the shine has come off of Airbnb 
And so it feels like these hotel chains jumping into the, I guess, apartment rental uh, or house rental market, for lack of a better term, is smart on their end and also giving people another option. Because with Airbnb, you know, you just keep hearing more and more horror stories about people having bad experiences. Of course, there's a ton of great experiences, but, you know, there's just a couple of bad experiences. They tend to create a lot of noise. And now these hotel chains can jump on it and offer hopefully a more consistent product. You know, you're not going from, you know, it's not dependent on whoever the owner is or whoever the unit manager is for what your experience is going to be like. So I think it's smart on the hotel business end and also probably good for consumers overall, as long as they live up to, you know, what they promise with their new brand. The value here is really going to be what do they charge for these, right? We don't know. And, you know, World of Hyatt points are very valuable. I expect they'll be on the higher end. These will be nicer properties, it seems like, from the description. So you should be getting higher-end rental properties. But my guess is that they cost a pretty penny. But then again, when you compare it to what you're going to get in a hotel and, you know, some of the benefits of it compared to what you have with a hotel, if it's a really nice area, uh, it could be good. And it could open us up to properties that we would never have thought about before with higher points, even if they are a lot of points. Sometimes it's worth spending up, you know, and spending a lot of points on something if it's spectacular. So I can't wait to see what properties they have. They're going to start by focusing in places like Hawaii, ski areas. So, you know, the big vacation rental areas, which makes a lot of sense, and then sort of roll it out further from there. The second brand that's getting launched is Marriott. They've had it in so many brands lately, I can't even pretend to remember the names of them. Uh, and it's hard always to tell what the difference is between them. But Marriott has taken their Four Points brand, which is, you know, the Four Points brand, as I've traveled around, the few I've stayed in, they're generally like older Sheratons that they've downgraded and turned into Four Points because they're not nice enough to become Sheratons anymore. Now, I know they've built new properties too, and those tend to be pretty nice, but the Four Points has never been a brand, especially internationally, that I found to be that nice. And now they're <laughs> they're following in IHG's footsteps, I guess, and they're launching Four Points Express. So like you have Holiday Inn and Holiday Inn Express, you now have Four Points Express, which is going to be in the mid mid-scale segment for Europe, the Middle East, and Africa, so not coming to the U.S. And uh, yeah, another brand, at least this time they're using an existing brand to launch off of instead of creating another word that we've never heard before. Yeah, I don't know if that's better because, well, I guess I guess it's like, okay, Four Points and then Four Points Express is the even cheaper version of four points. So I guess, I guess that does work, but I, I, I just, I, I just don't understand. I just don't understand. Like the, we've talked about this so many times, so I'm not going to talk about it anymore, but I, I'm just brand inundated. So maybe they want to do a four points express commercial like holiday and express, which, you know, those commercials have been wildly successful. Everyone knows that brand. They need to get the cinnamon rolls and they'll be okay. Yeah, I don't really understand what they're going for here. It says they pr prioritize elements for both business and leisure trips. Uh, the brand will provide basics such as clean, comfortable rooms. Does any hotel say that they don't provide clean, comfortable rooms? Uh, they do get breakfast, complimentary Wi-Fi, and affordable prices. So uh, this is going to be mid-scale, they say, but pretty much lower scale. The first three properties, one in London, two in Turkey. So we'll see how they roll that out. But why? Why, why, why? You have like 25 other brands. Just pick one of those. And that's the thing, too, is that when they launch these brands, you're getting like one or two or three properties. It's not like, you know, you're getting dozens and dozens. It seems like they should focus 
on rolling out these brands wider instead of having so many of them. Unless they want to move to a point like Hyatt where at least they're giving us credit for every new brand that they launch and we can earn free nights. So I don't care for them. They can launch 100 brands uh, for all I care. All right. Well, if it works for you, Sean, I will just keep getting triggered. That's fine. So Benji this week wrote about his time in Dulles Airport at the Capital One Lounge. And the Capital One Lounges are my favorite. I should say I've only been to the one in Dallas, but I've been there a couple of times and the food is really good. It's sort of like the Centurion Lounge, I feel like evolved. Like they took what the Centurion Lounge is and made it better in some ways. They have the, you know, to-go food, but really high-end sort of food. Great bathrooms with showers, very relaxing. Uh, but he got to go to the one in Dulles, which is the second one to ever open. And I did a review, so I thought I would highlight that here. Uh, as more people are sort of looking into Capital One and looking into their lounges, Hopefully they'll get more built pretty soon. But this looks really nice. Looks very similar to the Dallas one. Although Dulles is such a weird airport with the way you have to take trains out to the gates. And this is right after security. So if you're connecting, you would actually have to go all the way back to the main terminal to go to this. And if you're not connecting and you're just getting there, it's a pretty long way from there to most gates at Dulles. So the location's not great, but the lounge looks pretty much as good as the one in Dallas. Yeah, I am past the caring about lounge part of my life, but I looked at Benji's pictures and I like the way, like, I like the look of it. It looks very clean. Um, he said he had some issues with angles, sight angles at the bar or something like that, but sight lines, but, you know, not too worried about that. I find that Dulles is, uh, like you said, an airport that I actively try to avoid if I can. Uh, you know, I put that up there with jfk lax although you can't always avoid those airports newark i guess but you know that being said i i do like that capital one is getting to the lounge space and i feel like we're at the point right now where the market isn't saturated with capital one cards to the point where you know it's we're not seeing centurion lounge type lines right now so like now's the time to take advantage of these before they get like hot yeah i'm still waiting for the one to come to vegas he also did an article from his time in Dulles lounge hopping, and that's something, you know, you say you're not that much into lounges. I'm definitely not into lounges in the way I used to be, but it's a unique thing in this hobby. I think we've all probably done it where you have a priority pass, you have several credit cards that get you access to multiple lounges, and you end up with a few hours and you just sort of hop from lounge to lounge, maybe have a beverage here and there, some food. So when he was at Dulles, he went to six places. I think he went to... Chef Jeff's, which is a Priority Pass restaurant. Then he went to the Virgin Atlantic Clubhouse, Air France KLM Lounge, Turkish, Turkish Airlines Lounge, Lufthansa Business Class Lounge, and the Capital One Lounge. So that is a lot of lounges to go to. Have you ever done a lounge hop like that? No, I haven't. And I, like, what is it with him? And he loves doing stuff like this. I just... I just want to chill in one place and relax and I find a nice place. I mean, I guess, you know, you do it for the content or you do it to see what else is out there. But, you know, it's just too much to be running around. But, um, you know, it, it, I'm glad I'm glad he enjoys it. I've done it like quite a lot with longer layovers. It makes the time go by quicker uh, if you're doing it and, you know, you don't get sort of the monotonous. Once you settle into a lounge, the monotony is... I don't know, it's, you're just there, you get some food, and then you're just sitting there waiting for your flight. So I feel like, especially if you're by yourself and you can get around, it's always good. And, you know, when you have an airport where you can get that many lounges, it's sort of rare. I've done it at DFW, I've done the Admiral's Club, Centurion, 
and the club there, which is a priority pass lounge. Uh, so, but usually at Dallas, I, now I just go to the Capital One lounge. But I don't. I, I think it could be fun. I suspect a lot of people who listen to this show who are out there have done it. Just the novelty of it, especially when you're newer in the hobby, you get that priority pass lounge, that priority pass card, and you're in an airport that has multiple lounges. I've also done it in Hong Kong. Last time I was there just a couple months ago, not all the lounges had opened, but pre-COVID, there were so many lounges that you could go to depending on, especially if you were flying Cathay Pacific, you could just lounge hop six or seven lounges there and then priority pass and everything else. So Centurion there as well. Now they have a chase lounge, I think, at Hong Kong. So I feel like that's got to be my next lounge hopping. I got to go to Hong Kong and just hop around. I do love me some Hong Kong lounges, but see, I... If there's a lounge that I really like, I'll just want to stay there. But I totally agree. Like when I first got into things um, and I wasn't tired all the time, you know, I love doing stuff like this. But that, that that was just a different phase of my miles and points life. Let's talk about Delta really quick. They came out this week and said that they perhaps went too far with their Sky Miles changes. Uh, basically yes, saying perhaps. That, yeah. Perhaps. It's funny when companies do this and they get a backlash. They said, oh, we probably went too far, but we're not going to roll back the changes even though we went too far. Uh, it's just their way of like placating customers, making them feel better. Oh, Delta recognizes that they pushed a little bit too hard here, even though you know they made a calculated business decision and stuck through with it. But we've seen a lot of like competitors coming at them Specifically, Alaska and JetBlue both launched status matches for Delta Elites, basically trying to get their business. Alaska's version is very interesting if you have the Alaska credit card because you can get status all the way through 2024. We'll put links in the description, so I'm not going to go through every detail of how these matches work. But basically, if you are a Delta Elite, Alaska and JetBlue want to give you want to give you some version of their status and uh, an easier way to earn it going forward. And if you and, you know, Alaska, JetBlue, very, very market dependent, right? If you're a Delta flyer, you have probably a lot more access to flights than those airlines. But if you're in a city where those airlines are heavy, like in Fort Lauderdale or in New York City for JetBlue, or obviously the Pacific Northwest for Alaska, this could be a really great way to grab status. Keep in mind with Alaska is ones per lifetime, although I have successfully matched twice on my account even though they say once per lifetime. So who knows exactly how that works? Yeah, I was really, really, like, I was not totally triggered, but getting Mosaic 3 and jumping me, like my Mosaic status, uh, just for, and then keeping it for the whole year just for having the credit card, you know, I'm sure Alaska Airlines elites feel similarly um, because that was a very generous status match. I was, like, a little bit triggered by it, but honestly... You know, respect the game. I think it makes a total sense for these companies to jump in. I think the interesting thing about the JetBlue one was they were like, we'll only take 30,000 status matches. And one thing I was wondering was, is that a lot? Like, I don't even know, like, what is the normal number? Um, As of right now, the website is still open. It doesn't say that they're not taking any. But I don't know if that's because, like, they're taking forever processing things or whatever. And, you know, that just got me thinking about the intricacies behind it. It's like, oh, is 30,000 a lot? I don't even know like what, you know, status numbers are. I'm sure someone out there knows that. So I was curious about that. But, you know, I feel like Delta deserves this. Like, of course, if you're going to announce bad changes, other companies are going to take advantage of that. And that made total sense to me. The cynical part of me is like, whatever Delta releases as their adjusted change, was that originally what they wanted? And like, did they expect 
the backlash and they, you know, went too far on purpose publicly so that they would dial it back. But then if that was the case, did they go too far with how far they went and really caused themselves trouble? Because, you know, I, I saw people who are not in the miles and points space uh, who are pretty loyal to Delta and they were like, screw this, like I'm out, you know, and that's, that's not, you know, people in the miles and points space, our loyalty changes all the time. Right, our loyalty changes to the best deal, but it's those business travelers, uh, you know, fellow travel agents of mine, people like that, who have loved Delta in the past, and with these changes, even they, who don't follow this stuff to a T like we do, um, or some of us do, don't want to speak for myself, they're like, nah, forget that, like I'm, I'm looking for somewhere else. So, I thought it was really interesting. Delta may have overstepped. I still don't think it's going to hurt them in the end, but at least for uh, perception, they're going to take a short-term hit on this. In modern corporate America, it seems like conversations are, are all about maximizing profit and how to make these loyalty programs as profitable as possible. And you know, Delta specifically on their earnings calls has basically talked about how their credit card co-branded business has been so successful for them. And it seems like they focused more on you know, profits than on what the experience is and pushing it as far as they could and changing things and making it more profitable. That's pretty much backed up in the way they've talked on earnings calls and stuff like that. It is good to see both JetBlue and Alaska coming at them. It's a good reminder for people in this hobby to take advantage of stuff like this because these status matches aren't really for us, right? I mean, they don't want people who are going to take advantage of them in the exact way and, and do that. They are for the business travelers, the people who you know, like you said, Joe, are not happy with the Delta changes and that's who they're going for. But the side effect of that is that we get opportunities to get status. We talked about the Frontier status match a bunch. I'm not going to talk about that again. I did write an in-depth article this week about it, about why I finally did it, but I've talked about that on the show. But these are opportunities and it's always nice to open your eyes to them and do them. And the other interesting thing is both the Alaska and JetBlue offers have better versions if you are a co-branded credit card holder, which reinforces that all of these airlines are heavily focused on their credit cards, on getting you to use their credit cards. And that's just going to happen even more as they tweak these programs into the future. We've seen it with all of the big programs now where they have components to help you earn status through spending. Delta obviously was the least generous, I guess, with the way they did it. But this credit card sort of co-branding thing is going to get even more, and we're going to see more promotions with it. And in this case, both Alaska and JetBlue saying, have our credit card, get a better status match. Yeah, I think these airlines know where their bread is buttered and just how lucrative these credit card contracts and affiliate relationships are. And so I think we're going to keep seeing this. I mean, I thought, you know, I was like, wow, it is so easy to do this JetBlue status match. Like, they're not even hiding it. They don't even care whether you fly their planes or not, as long as you get their credit card and using their credit card, you know, they, they know that on average, they're going to make enough money off of you to make it happen. Um, and it makes sense, right? Because you get the affinity credit card and then that makes you want to fly the flight more. So, you know, even if you, I said this last time we talked about status matches, even if you just take one extra JetBlue flight or one extra Alaska flight, you know, they're, they're getting extra money in their coffers. And so um, just, Smart marketing, nefarious, but also, you know, it works. And hopefully a lot of people can benefit from this. I know our former esteemed co-host, Mark, is uh, already stealing my mint upgrades that I haven't even earned yet legitimately. I mean, do they even fly to Detroit? What do they fly to New York, I guess? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how he's going to use it. And also, I was I was surprised that he was a Delta Platinum 
But, uh, you know, I guess when you're out of Detroit and if you have a co-branded card, which is why I think it was it just seems so short sighted of Delta. People put so much money on their credit cards already. You know, they it's the it's the old saying that pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. And I feel like Delta really took one on the nose this time. But as you've said, they tend to get away with this stuff, and they've been super aggressive. They were the first ones to remove their award charts, uh, which was so many years ago now, and basically everybody has followed. So uh, we'll see if everybody continues to follow uh, them here. But uh, take advantage of status matches. I just That should be the moral of this story. When you see these promos, see if they work for you. Grab a status when you can, and you can generally take that status and move it to something else. I obviously talked about my Platinum Pro to Frontier, and this is the way to earn status, in my opinion, in most cases. So let's close with this, Joe. Uh, the new Q4 spending offers on Chase cards are out. There is a link. We'll put it in the show notes where you can click, and you just need the last four digits of your card number, your last name, and your zip code, and it'll tell you what you're targeted for. In most cases, people are being targeted with either 5X or 10X bonus miles at gas stations, grocery stores, and Amazon for spending October 1st through December 31st, and that's going to be on 1,000 in purchases. So you'd either get 5K or 10K points, depending on which version. All of my cards seem to have the 5X version of that, but that's still extra 5X spend. I have it on my Hyatt cards. I have it on a Southwest card as well. I do also have a version of the offer on my Sapphire Reserve uh, that is 7,000 bonus points when booking travel through Chase Travel. You have to book a flight and hotel package worth $105 or more. Probably not going to do that, but the 5X spending comes in handy during the fourth quarter. Good to see them doing this again. And make sure you check all your cards to see what you have. Yep. Great advice. Always nice to get out bonus points for stuff that you're going to spend for anyway, especially in Q4 when we spend a lot of money. So great reminder. Yeah. And I love that it's Amazon gas and grocery. So you have categories that are fairly easy to hit. There is another version where it's 5,000 bonus points or miles after 3K spend, which would be uh, not quite as good, but uh, maybe some good bonus on everyday spend. But it's super simple to just click the link, go through all your Chase cards really quick, figure out what you have, and hopefully you have the 10X offer. That would be a no-brainer. 5X, I can get that on Amazon all the time, uh, but you know, grocery stores, depending on the deals, going into Q4 with gift card deals, other spending deals... You might have some good opportunity there. In some areas, people have lots of gas station spend, which I don't tend to have here. But, you know, I don't own a gas car, Joe, so I have to find other creative ways to spend at gas stations. And I haven't done such a good job of that, but there are some fun ways, including gift card deals and stuff like that, especially if you have Speedway. So I'll point you in that direction there. So check those cards. Hopefully we see Barclays, other ones come out. We want to see lots of spending offers for the fourth quarter. I know I've been getting some city 0% APR offers, which I don't ever accept, but city is starting to send out offers. And the last few years, we've seen a ton of stuff come for the fourth quarter. So I'm excited for that. Uh, this is the time of year, Joe, where it's easy to get spending. Buyers groups are loading up on the deals. We got prime days coming up, what, t- October 10th and 11th. So get ready for spending there. I got a couple new cards. I got that Southwest business card and my blue business plus. I got a meet the spending on. So I'm ready to go for the holidays. Excited for that and sending in all my Amazon stuff. It's crazy to be home doing all this, but uh, great to be taking advantage of it. Anything else you have to add before we head out today? Nope. Just going to go pass out. 
All right. Well, while you're doing that, where can people find you when they're not listening to this fine podcast? You can find me at As Joe Flies, all of our social media, Joseph Chung at Travelmation.net. If you're a client and I haven't gone back to you, it is because I've been in a daze and I will do my best to do so properly. What about you, Sean? You can find me all over social media at Miles to Memories. We have our Vegas stuff on YouTube, youtube.com forward slash Miles to Memories. And everything we do on the site, milestomemories.com. We have links to apply for cards if you want to support the show. Uh, that does help us out a lot. We always put the best offers on the site. We also have a couple slots in our Diamond Patreon. We get Slack, Facebook. We have meetups. We have a few shows every month. We have chats. All that at patreon.com forward slash miles to memories. Thanks so much for listening. Talk to you next time. See ya. See ya.